It is Discover Purpose Podcast, Episode 5. And I'm actually glad the journey has been worthwhile. So feel free to tell the world about this because this is actually a crucial subject. It's an important one. People need to understand why they live. They need to understand the reason, the motive of the creator behind their existence. It's actually something big. You know, like we established in the first episode, anybody will pay a fortune to come to that knowledge they will pay anything to see to it that they can grab satisfaction so tell the world about it in the comment section also let me know what you feel and keep keep sharing the good news so like the title of this episode implies the manual the manual the manual yeah and um, there's actually a reason why i i wrote it the way i wrote it you know th capital e dot dot then m dot like that manual it's, it's actually in, in, intentional. But let us get into it. We've established that the Word of God is God's manual. Very important. The Word of God is God's manual. You want to know the reason why a product exists? Go to the manufacturer. And going to the manual is as going to the manufacturer is the same thing. In our dispensation, it is not God's intention to make anything mysterious to us. You know, the writer of the book of Corinthians, Paul, said in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 12, that what eyes have not seen, what ears have not heard, what has not entered into the mind of man, the heart of men, God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. So God wants you to come into purpose. He wants you to know, you, you, you understand? He's not trying to be mysterious. He's not trying to be to be hard. Okay? So that's, that's actually very important. And it is expressly clear what the intention of God are. In his word, as he formed the first man, even as he gave permission to the latest sperm that would fertilize any woman's egg. So it is important, it is it is expressly clear what the intentions of God are. God spells it out clearly in his word. Very, very important. And, and, and you know, um, we have a phenomenal heaven and earth, a beautiful universe. You understand, you know, we talked about um, the green flowers. Or the green plants, the beautiful birds of, of the sky, the delectable galaxy. You, you know, you just look at the vast expanse of a universe like ours, and you, you just know God is good. You know, you understand. You see a God that was very intentional. But it is very important to know that even if a beautiful and a phenomenal universe was was come by by God, that is God created this space it is not god's soul aim you understand god is even more than a beautiful universe if you read the bible in first peter you will see the bible even telling us that one day the heaven and the earth which we see now is going to pass away so what happens to the identity of god when he finds his his identity when he finds his satisfaction in something that will pass away so it's very important very, very important. So why we might not see it in the word of God spelled out like, oh, oh, you human beings, oh, you mankind, oh, you Bola, oh, you GD, oh, you Peter, you get. Why you might not see it spelled out that, oh, this is the purpose of your life. Do this, do that, you understand? We can descend God's purpose through his word. And for this study, I've actually um, made it very easy. We can descend God's purpose in his word via three means. Number one is through the blueprint of God. When we look at the motive of God behind every of his action, when we look at the motive of God behind, behind every 
um, of his action towards mankind. You know, we can come about the purpose of man. Like we said, purpose is the sole aim. Purpose is the delight of the creator. So when we look at his motive, why was God acting like this, you know, in the direction of mankind? We can sense what his purpose are. We can sense what his purpose are for mankind. And the number two thing is the priority or the delight of God. Another thing is when we look at the priority of God when it comes to human being, when we look at the, the delight, what makes God laugh when it comes to man, we can spell out the purpose of God for mankind. And the number um, third thing is the testimony of the proposed who live purposefully. Very important. There are many precedences in the Bible. So when we look at their testimony, those that the word of God, those that are manual attest that they live purposefully, when we look at their testimony, what they had to say about purpose, you understand, we can come about a statement of purpose for mankind. And very important, we are going to be starting with the blueprint of God. Revelation 4 verse 11, one of the most purposeful in, in quote. Now, one of the most, um, that scripture that, that tends to purpose. This is what it says, Revelation 4 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou art created all things for your pleasure, they were created. So we, we saw a God creating things and we saw the motive he was, why he was creating it. He said he created it for his pleasure. When you check the Greek original of this um, verse 11, the word pleasure actually means will. So God created everything from his act of will. He had a will, you understand? He, he, he created everything for his will. You, you, you get that? So there is a will. God followed in creating everything. And we are going to be seeing what that will is in, in, in the book of Ephesians. You know, like everybody, every parent, you know, they have a will. So when they leave, you know, they can they can um, tell their lawyer, come and read out the will and all. So what was God's will? What was God patterning everything after? Let, let us see Ephesians 1, verse 1 to 3. God created all things for his pleasure, for his will. And Ephesians 1, verse, verse 1 to 5 or 6, thereabouts, tells us what that is. The Bible says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him, before the foundation of the world. You see, according as he has chosen us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us, you know, before we even created, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. You see, we saw the according to the good pleasure of God's will. So God created everything for his will in Revelation 4 verse 11. And the Bible says, according to that will, we saw everything here spelled out. So the Bible said, God chose us in him before the word was created. You know, my moral of blessed memory said, Ephesians 1, 32, 5. Should have been that book that predates Genesis because it tells us what was in the mind of God before creation. So before God created the world, the Bible says God chose us holy and without blame before him. He predestined us unto adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. So if we, we, could, we could just end Discover Purpose podcast on this plane, you understand, but we won't. But what, what we saw at the mind of God, at the back of the mind of God before he formed the first man, was God bringing children unto himself through Jesus Christ. So 
God was going, God was going to um, create a family for himself, and that family will emanate via Jesus Christ. Of course, who lived many, many years after. You understand? Jesus was not even bodily present. It was not a, it was not a first Adam. But God said God was going to raise a family for himself through Jesus Christ. This was what was at the back of the mind of God, even before he created Adam. And you know, it is very important to know that the purpose of Adam, the first man, is the purpose of every other person. It's not going to be wise to say Adam was created for another purpose and this. You understand? So this even gets more maybe confusing that Jesus Christ, who came many years later, was still, still had something to do with the purpose of Adam, who existed before him. And that's why you actually have to follow consistently. So this, um, firstly, we are considering the motive of God for creation. What was the motive of God for every of his actions? Every of God's actions, what was his motive? God created all things for his pleasure, and we've seen that pleasure that it was bringing family unto himself. So, is it just okay to say, okay, God created us as family, let us just go and oh, you understand? There has to be more. So, let us look at every of God's action and the motive behind it. So, we saw God, of course, acting in many ways in the Bible. Number one. Um, in the beginning created the heavens and earth. Yes, the earth was without form. And he said, let there be light. You know, and there was light. That was an action. You know, um, many, after creating the whole world, seven days, he rested. You understand? The Bible says he formed the man in Genesis 2. You know, brought the woman. That, that was another action to him. So what was the motive of God behind all this action? Quickly, I'm just going to be explaining a few, and we are going to be from here deducing what the purpose of God is for mankind. So the first thing we saw God in Genesis one verse one to three saying, "Let there be light," you know, and there was light. You know, it's okay to to uh, just you know read your Bible and of course enjoy yourself, but you will you will notice something salient that it was not until the fourth day that God created the sun. The Bible was speaking in Psalm um, 104 that God created the moon to decide the month and the sun to decide the day. So it was on the fourth day that God created the sun. But on the first day, there was that was a day. Second day was under day. Third day was under day. Geography actually has it that without the sun, it is impossible to measure a day. And like I said, that is very correct because even the Bible in Psalm 104 said, God assigned the moon to decide the month and the sun to decide the day. So how did God achieve first day, second day, third day? How did they measure it? And what was the light that shone in the beginning? You understand? Because the sun came on the fourth day. So what was that light that God said, let there be light and there was creation? Let us read the account of John, of, about the creation. So John 1, in the beginning, there was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And we already know what the word is. The word is Christ, is Jesus, because the Bible says the word became flesh in verse 14. So anywhere we see the word, we are going to be putting Jesus. So in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, by Jesus. And without him, without Jesus, was not anything made that was made. In Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehended it not. 
When did light shine in darkness? In the beginning. In the beginning, when God said, let there be light, that was when light shone in darkness. So Paul was, um, sorry, the writer of John was telling us that that light that shone in the darkness, according to verse 4, is the life of Christ. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So the light that shone in darkness was the life of Christ. Very, very, very important. Very, very important. So it's okay to say that the, the, when God said, let there be light, he was speaking into existence the life of Christ. And if, 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 that, proof, if that proof does not sound convincing enough, we, we, can, we can read 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4. The writer of 2 Corinthians is, is Paul. So it differs from, um, from John. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When did God say, let there be light? When did God command light to shine out of darkness? It was in the beginning. The Bible was saying this was a type of what God will do in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We are going to be moving very quickly because there's a lot of things to prove. What, the, what about when God said, or when God rested on the seventh day? If you read Hebrews 3, you are going to be seeing it. The Bible says, we who, have, we who have believed have entered into our rest. You get just as God himself rested from his work on the seventh day. So that was also a type of what God was going to bring us to. You know, after finishing the works. Basically now, the works of salvation. There are so many things to explain. So as, you, you know, we are talking about the motive of God. Why was God acting the way he acted? Let us go to... Genesis 2 again, where God created uh, or made man and the woman. So God created a man, you know, told him, don't eat of every fruit, uh, of every fruit of the garden, of course you can eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the Bible says don't eat. He said, the day you eat, you will die. You understand? So immediately after that, we saw God saying, it is not good for the man to be alone. And of course, we know God was going to create a companion for Adam. But the Bible says he was going to create an helpmate, the English translation. When you check the meaning of helpmate in the Hebrew Bible or in the Hebrew context, it means Elza Kidnezo. Elza Kidnezo. Elza means to save. You know, when you say Ibn Elza, Ebenezer, Ebenezer is actually Ibn Elza, God, um, the rock of our salvation. Eben means rock. Elza means salvation. So Elza, God created Elza Kidnezo. The woman, the helpmate in the original context is called Elza Kidnezo. Kidnezo is somebody opposite. You understand? So of course, like I said, God was creating a companion. But if you are going to create a companion, why create somebody that will save? I don't know if you get it. Why create somebody with the capacity to save? You get So God came to Genesis to when man fell. And according to biology, we know that it is the man that produced the seed. It is the man that carries the seed. So when the man and the woman come together to have intercourse, it is the man that would release the seed, you understand, to the woman. But God told the serpent, he said, a seed will bruise your head. 
Do you understand? So God referred to the seed, to, to a seed of the woman. God didn't refer the seed as to man. And we know what that seed was. Because days late, um, many centuries later, we saw Jesus coming to the world through a woman, through a virgin birth. No man was involved. The Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary. So God was prepared for the fall. God inst instructed Adam, don't eat. But in, in his providence, he knew. So he, the creation of a companion or the providing of a companion for Adam actually means or actually um, deduced that God was even creating something more. So the need of a companion was the need of a savior for, for, for Adam. Through the woman, salvation came. Very apt. So of course you can see that God was creating a companion, marriage and all, but there is more. You know, when you ask God, he will tell you there is more. I wanted to save the world. I wanted to save mankind. And what about um, um, marriage? You know, God instituted marriage. We all know that marriage is God's institution. And the Bible is saying in the book of Genesis 2, verse, of course, Genesis chapter 2, Adam could not find anyone for him, and God had to create the woman. And when the woman was brought to Adam, Adam said, this is now the bone of my bone, the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called the woman because she was taken from a man. You know, God then replied, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. But when we come to Ephesians, we saw that God would want us to pattern our marriage according to Christ and the church. Even if Adam and Eve marriage happens to be the first marriage, physically speaking, the Bible was saying in um, Ephesians 5, Verse 22, that wife submit to your husband. In 25, say, husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church, not as Adam loved his wife. Of course, Adam loved his wife. But the prototype we saw for marriage was Christ and the church. So in verse 30, Paul said in Ephesians 5, that for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bone. Isn't this what Adam 2 said in Genesis 2 verse 23? This is not the bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh. Now let us continue in Ephesians 5 verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother. You see, Paul quoting what God, what the Bible wrote in Genesis 2 verse 24. Of course, God said that. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. In verse 32, he said, this is a great mystery, for I speak concerning Christ and the church. So a lot of us just see God creating marriage, instituting marriage. But when we come to the New Testament, when we read the motive of God, we saw God saying a Christ and the church. When Adam saw the woman, wow, the bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh, in the mind of God, this was his plan for the church. This was his plan for us, that we are going to be God's flesh and God's bone. We are going to be Christ's flesh and Christ's bone. We are going to be his body. You know, he responded to Adam. He said, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. In the fulfillment of this thing that you just said, in the fulfillment of therefore shall he, um, in the fulfillment of this is the bone of my bone, the flesh of my flesh, that Paul wrote in Ephesians 5 verse 30, which is now our reality. God responded, therefore shall a man leave his mother and his father. He said, and he shall cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one. He was, he was speaking, this is one of the, 
prophecy about Christ. It was not just instituting marriage. Of course, it was. But there was a deeper context that one day Christ will leave his mother and his father. He will come to earth and what? He would, he would become one with us. Paul said, he said, this is a great mystery. Ephesians 5 verse 32, but I'm speaking concerning Christ and the church. What about Noah? Noah's um, the destruction in the days of Noah, the ark. When in, in, in Genesis 6, 7, 8, when we come to the New Testament, in 1 Peter 3, 20, 20 to 21, the Bible says, which sometimes we were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. He said, while the ark was a preparing, wherein that, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure unto even baptism doeth also now save us. Not the putting away of the fields of the flesh, but answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Paul, Peter, another writer, thank God they are not all the same writer. John proved that the light was the life of Christ. Paul proved that marriage was a prophecy concerning the coming of Christ. Peter proving that Noah's ark was a light figure of what will happen in Jesus. Of what will happen in Jesus. Very, very important. What about Abraham? We see Abraham and we see God trying to make another person rich. Genesis 12. The Bible says God called Abraham, blessed him. In blessing, I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. Cause those that cause you. He said, through you, the nations of the earth be blessed, will be blessed. But when we read the Bible in Genesis, um, sorry, in Galatians um, 3 verse 18, we saw something deep. The Bible says the scripture, Galatians 3 verse 8, sorry. The Bible says the scripture foreseen that God will justify the eating through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, Indeed shall the nations of the earth be blessed. So we see God preaching the gospel unto Abraham. It was not just mere trying to save the world. It was the gospel for real. It was the God was not just trying to bless another man. It was the gospel. So when Abraham believed, the Bible says it was counted for him for righteousness. When you read Romans 4, where the Bible says Abraham did not stagger at the promise of God. The Bible says what happened to Abraham in believing was not just imputed unto Abraham. Righteousness was not just imputed unto Abraham. But unto us also, who would also believe that Christ was given for our offense and was raised for our justification. What about the circumcision that we saw in, in the Old Testament? It was a type of Christ. It was a type of Christ. Colossians 2 verse 11. The Bible says that circumcision was a type of Christ. The cutting away of the body of sin. What about the barrenness of 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 um, Sarah. Oh, we just thought Sarah was barren. But when we read um, Romans 9, we will see God choosing, intentionally doing it like that. Choosing the seed. Choosing his seed. The seed of Christ in Isaac. The Bible related also in Galatians 4, 21 to 31. Talking about Isaiah 54, 1 to 17. He said, Rejoice, O barren. He said, before, Because many are the children of the desolate who has an husband. Rejoice, O barren. Talking about Sarah. Many are your children. In Sarah was the, was the seed called. That was Galatians 4, 27 to, to 28. 
What about the test of Abraham's faith when he had Isaac? What about the test, Genesis 22? It was something more. Something more. If you read it, something more. Go and sacrifice your son. Abraham went, went to sacrifice it. Of course, we know God abhors with sacrificing uh, the sacrifice of human beings. You know, he warned the children of the Israelites, one of the Lord, don't sacrifice your children. Don't sacrifice your children. So when we get to Hebrews 11, the Bible says what Abraham did, he said it was like it was a figure of the resurrection of Christ. He, was, he, he, received, Abraham, he received Isaac in a figure. So the test of Abraham's faith happened to prefigure salvation in Christ. Very important. What about Jacob and Esau? We were just seeing a God hating somebody and liking another person. But Romans 9, 11 to 13 says, For the children not yet born, nor done any evil or good, is it that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who caused it was said to her. You understand? Romans 9, 11 to 13, that the younger I have loved, the older I have hated. God was trying to prove election to mankind. That salvation was going to come by election, not of works. It was going to come by election. What about the man Moses? He was a type of Christ. He himself prophesied that a prophet more than me is going to come. The testimony of Moses was a man like Christ. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 2. He was seen as a savior, as a deliverer. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13. As an apostle, as an high prince in Hebrews 31 to 6. As a testator. You know, through Moses, a testament was unveiled. The Old Testament was founded on Moses. The New Testament founded on Christ. So Moses was like a blueprint of Christ. The altar, the sacrifice, everything he did, the way he stood, was the way Christ stood in the New Testament. So all the sacrifices of the old, if you read them, Hebrews 10 verse 1 said they were a shadow of, the, of, of, of Christ. What about the man Solomon? He was a type of Christ. He built the temple, of course. But if you read the Bible in First Chronicles 28, 6-7, even Solomon knew God was not going to dwell in that temple. He knew God was not going to dwell in the temple. And an exegesis by, um, by the man Stephen in the book of Acts, it shows that God does not dwell in temples made with ends. God never dwelt in the temple of Solomon. You know, even God said it in um, Second Chronicles 7, 7, 7, 14. He said, if the people who are called by my name, you know, if they would hear me, if they would repent from their sin, he said, I would hear them from heaven. So God never dwelt in temples made with ends. It was Christ that built God a temple. So the writer of Paul of, of Corinth, of Corinthians, sorry, came, Paul, he said, we are the temple, knowing not that you are the temple of Christ. It was through the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Christ that God could have a temple. So Jesus Christ spoke in John 14. He said, don't be troubled. He said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. He said, I am going to prepare a place for you that where I am will be dear. A lot of people feel maybe God, some sort of a bricklayer, is who Jesus is and he is going to heaven. No. 
when he said he was going to go, he was talking about his death and his resurrection. Because how do we become temples? By believing in the death and the resurrection of Christ. What about the prophecies of, what about the book of Psalm? Replete with prophecies. The life of Christ was prophesied in Psalm 2 verse 7. The suffering of Christ at a time when crucifixion was not yet in, in place. The Bible prophesied about the crucifixion of, of Christ in Psalm 22. Psalm 22 verse 16. That Christ was going to be pierced in his leg and in his, in his foot. His death was prophesied. The book of Psalm is replete with the prophecies of the resurrection of Christ. Psalm 16, 9 to 11. His ascension. Psalm 68 verse 18. Psalm 110 verse 1. And these were quoted even in the New Testament in Acts 2. The fact that I was going to sit, Psalm 110 verse 1 to 7, that the implication of his work was going to be that God will not impute sin on us. It was prophesied in Psalm 32 verse 1 to 2. When you come to the book of Isaiah, you see prophecies again. Isaiah 7 verse 4, Isaiah 9 verse 1 to 6, that unto us a, a, a child is going to be born, unto us a son is going to be given his name. You know, become the mighty God. The fact that a virgin will conceive, Isaiah 7 verse 14, a virgin will conceive, his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. God is going to dwell with us. The sufferings of Christ, the death of Christ, the cru crucifixion of Christ, everything talked about in Isaiah 53. What about other prophets? Micah 5 verse 2, it was prophesied that Christ was going to be born in Bethlehem. He was going to be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah 11 verse 12 to 13. His death and his resurrection. Job 19, 23 to 27. Even in the, in the suffering of Job, he still spoke out the prophecy of Christ. He might not know, but he spoke prophecies about Christ. That the Lord is my Redeemer. Though I die, I'm going to appear again in his presence. You know, his enthronement, it was prophesied in the book of Daniels. 7, 13 to 14, that the Son of Man, whom Jesus referred to himself, is going to be enthroned. The implication of the works of Christ was also talked about in Joel 2, that in the last day, God is going to pour out his Spirit upon all man. What about the likes of Jonah? You know, the Pharisee asking Jesus, give us a sign. He said, no sign is going to be given you other than that which was given to Jonah, who was in the belly of the fish three days. He said, the same way I'm going to be in the belly of hell, you know, fighting for the salvation of mankind. What about Noah? The savior in his own time. A preacher of righteousness. It was, like, it, was a, it was a type of Christ. As a matter of fact, the happenings of his day, Jesus Christ talk, talked about it. That it, was, it will be likening to the happenings of, of the last day. They were asking him, when will the time come? Jesus said, just like in the days of Noah. People were giving themselves to marriage, marrying. You know, and the fall, the destruction came upon them suddenly. It's going to be the same in this new day. What about the man Joseph? You know, we felt Joseph was just God sending him into slavery and he was going to blow. When we read the life of Joseph, you know, when you look at the genealogy of Christ, Joseph was not there. Jo Jesus came, to, came through Judah. So, Joseph was talking about his suffering, you know, when him and his brother reconciled in Genesis 45, verse 5 to 7. He said, you people thought it for bad, but God sent me here to preserve you people. So, 
God saw a famine coming. And what he did was to send Joseph in his providential act. He sent Joseph to Egypt to preserve the seed whom Jesus was going to come through. Very important. What about the man Ozia? God instructed him to marry an alone, a demonstrative prophet. God demonstrated to Israel that I will keep chasing after you. You know, even the writings and the happenings of the Old Testament are Christological. You need to look at them. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah liking in the New Testament. It was talked about in the New Testament. The salvation of Lord talked about in the New Testament. The curiosity the, um, of Pharaoh. You thought God was just Pharaoh, another story. God said in Romans 9, explaining, Paul was giving a defense of what happened with God and Pharaoh. 9 verse 17 to 24. God intentionally showed Pharaoh. God was making a statement of his power on earth. So it was no surprise that in the Old Testament, the most referred or the most quoted or referred referenced act of God was the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. The most talked about act of God was the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. God was making a statement. The same way he made a statement in Christ. That Christ has died. He has risen. Anyone that believes will not perish. He made a statement with Pharaoh. So when they left Egypt, you know, Israel conquering city, they got to Jericho and a woman, Rehab, she believed. The Bible talked about her in Hebrews 11 that the Arlot the, the Rehab believed. She was saved. She and her family. So that was a type of Christ. The Passover is a type of Christ. God warned them. Don't break the bone. Don't break the bone of the animal. And we saw the fulfillment in Jesus. We saw the fulfillment. The two thieves, their leg broken. But Jesus Christ's leg was not broken. That fulfilled that. The lifting up of a brazen serpent in the wilderness. When the children of Israelites complained. And God sent serpents to them. You know, Moses had to erect a serpent. And in the New Testament, Jesus talked about it in John 3. Just as the serpent was lifted, and those that looked were saved. The same way the Son of Man was going to be lifted, talking about Jesus. So very important. Most of the things we see in the Old Testament, the motive behind it all, the motive behind it all was Christ. God in his providential art, either, either men knew or not, he was what painting Christ to us. When we look at the plan of God in eternity to come, we see that it is still all about Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 7, that in ages to come, is that God will show his exceeding rich, the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us, Christ, through Christ Jesus. In the coming world, it's going to be about Christ. Ephesians 3 verse 8, 2 Peter 3, 9 to 15, Revelations 21, 1 to 27. So when we look at the motive of, of God, we see Christ everywhere. Oh, we see Christ everywhere. The blueprint of God was Christ. In creation, in prophecy, in lives of those that lived, it was Christ. Number two, the parity and the delight of God quickly. So we saw God's parity. God's parity in the Bible is Christ. First Timothy 2, 3 and 4. But for this is the good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. We will have all men saved and come into the knowledge of truth. God's priority is the salvation of man. If his motive is about Christ, now that Christ has died, he has resurrected, his priority is to get the whole world saved. We see God delighting in Zephaniah 3 verse 17. Why? Because he was going to save. 
In Matthew, we see heaven throwing a party. The only time we saw that God, there's going to be party in heaven was because one soul is, is saved. So the priority and the delight of God is Christ. 2 Peter 3, 9-10. Peter giving a defense about God's, God's virtue of long-suffering. Long he said, he does not want sinners to die. He does not want, the reason why God is suffering long is because he does not want sinners to die. Very important, Galatians 4 verse 4. The Bible says, in the fullness of time. So every, God was waiting. In the fullness of time, he sent Christ to die. So the priority and the delight of God is about Christ. Number three, when we look at the testimony of the purposefully, purposefully, we see Christ. So Jesus Christ himself, one of the most purposeful, or I, I dare say the most purposeful man who ever lived, he said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So the testimony of those that live purposefully, the testimony of the purpose that live purposefully was in was in the in the direction of God. It was not in the direction of career. It was not in the direction of money. Paul said, "For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain." David, a day in your court is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than in than to dwell in the tent of wickedness. A man that has it all, a robust CV. But he said his desire at God's word. Solomon, the richest, or one of the richest as far as history is concerned. He said, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandment, for this is the old duty of a man. So when we look at the manual, the motive of God, the priority, the delight of God. When we look at the testimony of those who live purposefully, one thing, Christ. So if our manual is saying Christ, then Christ it is. So in episode 6, we're going to be spelling out the purpose of mankind. Thank you very much for staying connected. And like I said, share with the world. And let me hear, of course, about what you feel, how blessed you are in the comment section. Thank you and catch you in episode 6.